welcome to crime and time on the rocks i really hate it when i do that i need to stop doing it what on the rocks (laughs) nobody likes listening (laughs) on the rocks on the rocks nobody likes listening to that it's just too much what are we doing we're having breakfast breakfast yeah i like booze for breakfast it's the scottish breakfast cocktail the scottish breakfast cocktail okay so i did a lot of like homesteading for this one i have to say did you just say you did homesteading for this one so you went and picked a plot of land yeah <laughs> like whatever you call it now that people do that are into like growing their own vegetables and whatnot oh okay um yeah i know what you're talking about i don't know what it's called yeah i did that cool so, what'd you do seriously what'd you do i i'll tell you when i get to the parts okay so this this cocktail has an ounce of scotch an ounce of blood orange liqueur. That sounds yummy. Three dashes of Aztec chocolate bitters. Aztec chocolate bitters. Yes, it's like a little chocolate and a little spice. Okay, I'm excited about that. A half ounce of apple butter that I handmade with organic apples. Pioneer woman, that's what you are. I pioneered them, yeah. <laughs> a half ounce of lime juice. Uh-huh. And then you shake it, you double strain it into a coupe glass because the apple butter can be a little thick, so you okay, want to double strain it. Okay, how did you have to double strain it? What did you do? I poured it out of the shaker that that strains it once into a fine mesh strainer. Okay, those, strain those shaker things are pretty big holes. Yeah. And then garnished it with a dehydrated lime wheel that I hand dehydrated. <laughs> you sit there and you waved over them with yes. the pan. <laughs> no, I oven, Sorry, I oven dehydrated ass, them. Being a smart ass. Well, they look beautiful. And child number two touched and put, put them. All, she yeah. played with them like poker chips all over the yes, counter. Yes, she did. But they're in our drink right now, so it's awesome. So excited! I've seen where her fingers have been. Okay. Um, okay, I want to talk about these glasses though because these glasses are absolutely gorgeous. You brought them to me a couple of podcasts ago. I don't know if that's been released yet, but they, it is a beautiful um, small breast coupe bowl, um, and I say that because. Marie Antoinette, the, the original coupe bowl, I've always heard, was designed after the size of Marie Antoinette's breast. I don't know. It's just what I've heard. Anyway, it's a small coupe bowl with a copper-colored stem. And they look really nice with this cocktail because the dehydrated lime wheel has a little bit of that copper color it in it. It kind of does, yeah. They're absolutely beautiful. So you want to try it? No. I'm going to. Okay. I smell the orange. Yeah, I do smell the orange and the lime. It's just a lot of like stuff in there. It's really orangey and limey to me. Okay, I'll drink it. I don't know that I'll have another, but I'll drink it. Yeah, I'm not having another. It's just a little too sweet for me. Uh-huh. It's a lot. And I, yeah. Okay, so scotch. When I was a kid, I was the bartender. And I used to have to make the whiskey and water and the scotch and water. And take them to the grandparents. And I've never liked scotch. I didn't use the recommended 10-year age scotch for this cocktail. I used like Johnny Walker Red. You didn't want to spend $40 on a bottle of scotch? That we would use one time. Yeah. (laughs) I had to spend $36 on the blood orange liqueur. So (laughs) it seemed more reasonable because I'm like, I'll use that again in like a marg or something like that. Oh my goodness. Okay, we need to do like a, um, what are those fundraising things called that people the podcast people do like the patreon yes we need to do a patreon for our booze you said booze like you're canadian well you know i have family in minnesota minnesota all right for the alcohol you go first okay so i'm going to tell you about the disappearance of fiona torbett okay i love her name it's very scottish (laughs) she's scottish Oh, that's right. It's called the Scottish Breakfast. Yeah. All right. I'm okay. I really am. <laughs> so Fiona Torbett went missing on July 7th, 1993. Uh-huh. She had been staying in a bed and breakfast called Greenan House in Invernate. And I'm going to do my very best at pronouncing Scottish words, and I'm not going to apologize for it each and every time. Just this one time. <laughs> Just saying. Yeah. Okay. But um, anyway, so she was Scottish, and she was at a bed and breakfast. Oh, Scottish breakfast. Oh, look at you doing double duty. Uh-huh. So she was an avid hill walker, which is like a popular hobby in the UK, including Scotland. And hill she was, walker? Yeah. Okay. She was in the area on like Skywalker? a walking holiday. Sorry. It's like, 
I guess it's like hiking, but there's like rules to it. What? Yeah. Hiking has rules? No, hill walking has rules. Why would you make rules? Because it's like um, something you can achieve. So they have like different hills of different heights and they have names for them. So if you do all like, let's say in Scotland, there's like 12 of this type of hill then you've achieved that. Like, you've achieved all 12 of this. Like, your little thing on the Fitbit, if you do this, you've done this. Okay. Kind of, yeah, yeah. But you keep track of it yourself. Oh. So, anyway, she began staying at the Greenan house in the late 1980s. So, she'd been going there for a long time. Uh-huh. By that. Oh, so this hobby has been around for a while. A long time, yeah. Okay. So, she... The bed and breakfast that she stayed at, she used as a base for some of her regular hill walking expeditions. She liked to revisit some of the places that she went from time to time. Okay. And the bed and breakfast was run by Zena and Donald McMillan. And their son, Donald Jr., also helped around Warrior princess! Sorry. <laughs> really? Because when you said, when I read the sentence, <laughs> I immediately thought of, like, Don Jr., like Donald Trump Jr., because I kept thinking, like, Don Jr., Don Jr., Don Jr. <laughs> See, I heard Zena. <laughs> That's so, funny. the warrior princess and Don Jr. <laughs> yeah, oh, so my God, stop. I had scotch in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> It almost came through my nose, and that would hurt. So, <laughs> Zena and Donald ran the B&B, and their son, Don Jr., also helped around the house. Now that's all I hear. <laughs> he was a tremendous son. <laughs> the most tremendous son. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, that's Was tough. he fired? <laughs> Fiona, um... She kept a very, very detailed diary of all of the climbs she made and what she saw on her hikes. And she, Shrek made her. <laughs> she even made corrections to some of the ordnance survey maps that were around at the time. Aww. She wrote... Mar- or, oh, wow. She made corrections to the maps. Yes. That were made by surveyors. Yes. Okay, Fiona rocks. Yes, Fiona knows her business. She also wrote articles for some outdoor magazines, and she even co-authored a book called The Grams. Okay. So the Gram, uh, a Gram is a hill section in Scotland between 2,000 and over 2,000 and under 2,500 feet. Okay. So the term Gram actually was named after Fiona, because Gram was her maiden name. Oh, so that's was, pretty cool. Yeah, she was that prolific in the hill walking community that... The, that term of hill from 2,000 to tw- under 2,500 feet, hills were named after her. Wow. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, if I were going to make this cocktail again, I would probably triple strain it and strain it the third time through cheesecloth. Yeah. I The double is definitely necessary. The mm-hmm. third is probably preferable. Yeah. I'm just, as, as we're drinking it, I'm seeing the residue on the side of the glass. Yeah. You can see a little I'm bit. I'm not a Pope fan. The apple butter is a little grainy. Yeah. If you're fine with that, it's fine, but I'm not. I want to I don't, drink my drink and eat my food. I don't want to eat my drink. I don't taste it while I'm drinking it. Okay. Sorry. I totally do. <laughs> That's really cool. She's got a hill named after her. Go Fiona. Not only a hill. She has a category of hills. A category yeah. of hill. So, yeah. Since Graham was her maiden name, obviously she was married. So she married her husband, Dr. Thomas Torbett, in 1960. So she was an older woman by this time, because this is in the 90s. She was, okay. like, in her 60s. Oh, like, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. I can't quite remember how old she was. Dr. Torbit was away that day on a sailing trip, and... So it's happening in the 90s. It's happening in the 90s, But yeah. the hill was... She married the dude, the doctor, in the, in 60s. the 60s. Okay. Yeah. So she was also in her 60s. Okay. So Dr. Torbit returns from a sailing trip, and Fiona wasn't back, so he reported her missing. And so they, there was a, con- a search that had been conducted, and it was one of the biggest ever in the highlands of Scotland. So there was a helicopter that flew around looking for her, and they took aerial photographs of, like, the whole area. Mm-hmm. The Royal Navy and a team of police divers searched a local lock. So, lake. Yes. Rescue teams, including search and rescue dogs, spent over 400 hours searching and the searches were conducted for several months, but they failed to find any sign of Fiona. Oh, wow. Some of the people thought, well, maybe she had been injured or become disoriented mm-hmm. or whatever, but the family was like, no, she knows what she's doing. Like, yeah. if that is the case, she, she would have been found. She knew yeah. where she was going. She knew what she was doing. So police questioned Donald McMillan, Ju- Donald McMillan Jr. This is the husband? This is the son, Don Jr. Okay. 
And he said that Fiona had told her that he let that she was going to leave to start a new life. And everyone that knew her was like, no. Why would she tell her son that? Not her son. The bed and breakfast owner's son. The bed son. and breakfast owner's son. Yeah, which he wor- he had worked there. So he was another person she knew for a long time. Now. Uh-huh. But still, like, that wasn't in her character to just be like, I'm 63. Let's I'm going to leave and start a new life. life. Don Jr. also claimed that Fiona had left the bed and breakfast that the day she went missing with another man and told Don Jr. that she would return in a few days to pick up her car. Hmm. Not very does plausible. Not, yeah. Well, especially if her friends are saying that's completely and totally out of character. This is a guy, yeah, this is a guy that knows her from when she checks in and checks out of the hotel. Yeah. And again, the police thought maybe she had become injured or disoriented. The family and friends were like, um, if that's true, how come we haven't found her in nine mm-hmm. months? And especially... she would have just, like, fallen down somewhere. Right. And especially because she knew the area so well that she was even, like, correcting maps yeah. She knew where she was going. Yeah. Um, how old is Don Jr. at this time? I'm not quite sure how old Don Jr. was, but he was, like, at least in his 30s. Okay. I want to say he was, like, 36 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so then in March 1994, a woman named Muriel McKenzie was on holiday in the area, and she came across some women's belongings in some undergrowth. And she contacted a forestry, forestry worker who knew about the Fiona Torbit case and called the police. So the items were collected, and they were underneath some willow trees and had been covered by snow during the whole winter, so they weren't mm. easily seen until March. Yeah. And it turned out that <clears throat> the items were found to be Fiona's handbag, her wallet, some bank cards, and her hillwalking bag. Which I guess is like a backpack, because what I that don't would know. That makes sense. And what kind of bag you carry on a hill walking expedition. Yeah, that would make sense. Uh, there was also a single slipper of hers. One slipper? One slipper, which you don't wear okay, hill walking. Okay, yes, why is her purse, because I was thinking that same thing. I'm like, okay, why would you take a purse and your handbag and your credit cards and all that when you're hill walking? Right. Why would you leave that at the hotel? You wouldn't take all those things to one spot. Because you would leave those at your home base, which was the bed and breakfast. Right. Also, a large canvas duffel bag was still missing, but that would later prove to be very significant. So now the police changed the case from a missing person into trying to recover her body. They realized that she was presumed dead. Super sad. Yeah. So they again conducted a search, but this time they decided to search the bed and breakfast. Uh They brought ground penetrating radar. So they're searching the actual grounds of the bed and breakfast itself. Okay. Yes. Um, When when they got to the B&B, they found that the guest house had been extensively redecorated and recarpeted. Interesting. Yeah. They spent more than 12 hours in the guest house. They even opened up blocked up chimneys. And after all of that, they still hadn't found anything. And then they were in a downstairs shower room and they found the missing duffel bag. Okay. Inside it, the guest house of this it was bed and breakfast. Right. In the shower room, and it was located under the floorboards in a closet, and the bag had Fiona's name printed on the handle. Oh. Well, that's a little um, incriminating. And also, they found the matching slipper, the <laughs> mate to the slipper. That, that matches was, the slipper that was Yeah, that was spot. found under the gotcha. willow tree. So even though they had previously suspected Don Jr. being responsible for Fiona's disappearance, they questioned him again, and he still repeated his same story, that she left and run off with another man. Yeah. But they were able to detain him because of all this new evidence on suspicion of murder. Good. But they still hadn't been able to find her body. Okay. So they also talked to Don Jr.'s parents the owners of the B&B, and the parents were so devastated that they decided that they would plead with him to cooperate with the police. So the next day, he drew a diagram pinpointing the spot in the back garden where Fiona was dumped in a shallow grave. Oh, why did he kill her? Well, 
I'm glad he confessed, so now they know. Basically, it was learned that Don, Donald McMillan Jr.'s motive for killing Fiona was sexual. He was 33 years old. He was a former soldier. He claimed that he liked to wear women's underwear and had a fascination for older women. Oh. Which is all fine, as long as you don't kill people. Right, right. If, you know, yeah, have sex with who you want, but don't murder them. He lived in a trailer, which was adjacent to the B&B, and he lived there alone. They found pornographic magazines, and inside the magazines, he had a rating system where he would rate the women with stars. So younger women were usually marked around 10 to 20, while women 40 and older were awarded marks of up to 500. So wow. that's the scale at which he really found older women attractive. That's, I don't want to say bizarre because I'm, you know, on the upper side of that, but, or the mid side of that, I guess I should say. I, I would be fine. I would be found reasonably attractive by young. <laughs> <laughs> that's not that flattering um, though when you hear about no, it. Ew. He, um, upon talking to Donald Jr., he said that it, he always found it hard to talk to women his own age, but he wrote all kinds of letters to women all over the area. I wonder why. Yeah, I don't know. But even while he was awaiting trial, he continued to write letters to women, and one woman described the letters as really frightening, and it wasn't like he was saying anything threatening. It was just that they were full of all these gushing romantic phrases. Ew. Just creepy, like, ew. Yeah. And you just get vibes from people. I used to work in a call center years and years ago, and there was a guy that would call in, and I just got a bad vibe from him. He was just... Never said anything inappropriate. But sometimes you don't have to. No. There's just connotations and tone of voice, and it yeah. was... Yeah. There was vibes. Trust was those creepy. feelings. Yeah. Completely. So speaking of letters, one of them even made its way to Fiona. Prior to her death, she'd gotten a letter from yes, him? Yes. Okay. So the very last entry in her diary, which was written on the night she died, read... The night that she died. So yeah. they determined when she was actually killed. Yes. It okay. said, strange letter awaited me from Donald McMillan. Embarrassing to cope with. But they've never found the letter and they don't really know anything more about what was Whoa. in it. So they did find her body in the exact location that was pinpointed by Donald Jr. Well, I'm glad that he confessed and, and was able to provide that closure for her family. Yeah, and so they found her. She was covered with firewood, coal, and sheets of metal. Her face was covered with bandages and parcel tape. So it's almost like... Why? I almost wonder if he was like trying to mend her because he did something out of rage and then realized like that's not gonna fly like he's gonna get in big trouble and so then gotta fix it yeah Ugh. i don't know though so he was um put on trial for murder in 1994 and then was ultimately convicted convicted lord cullen which was the lord justice general of scotland told Macmillan, quote unquote you had a fixation for older women and you had sexual fa fantasies about them it was a sexually motivated assault, and you must have subjected the victim to a terrifying ordeal. I consider in your case the appropriate punishment to be 15 years. What? Mm -hmm. How is... I'm biting my tongue right now. And How... then... He's sitting there saying you have this horrible, horrible fixation, and you must have put this victim through something ter terrible. Yet I'm going to only take away, I'm going to convict you of 15, 15 years. 15 years. And then he died in prison in 2007. So Whoops. he died 13 years later. Okay. Well, whatevs. Wow. I don't understand the judges thinking this is so harsh and horrible and then sentencing yeah, him to something that is not. Because his words are very like, you're a terrible person. Yeah. You treated this victim like a way nobody should ever be treated. But... How about 15 years? Yeah. And you're in, you're in your 30s, so that's not that much. No. It's crazy, right? Yeah. That is, that's super, super crazy. Wow. So what do you have to tell me about? Well, I was very torn on this one because there were so many things. So a few years ago, <clears throat> I did a long-term sub in 
eight in a high school and I did four sections of senior English and one section of freshman English. Freshman, obvi, I did Romeo and Juliet. For the senior English, I didn't know what to do. And so one of the other English teachers suggested Macbeth and I'd never read Macbeth before. So I ended up doing Macbeth with the seniors and it was wonderful and it was amazing. Well, it turns out Macbeth was an actual real Scottish king. See, I didn't really know that. Yeah, it's really cool. But he wasn't super exciting. I mean, he was cool, but he wasn't super exciting. It's not like the Macbeth play where he got, where he murdered Duncan. He, he succeeded Duncan, but he didn't murder him. He just died. So it wasn't that exciting. And then there was also, I'm slightly obsessed with the Tudors, as we know. We've, yeah, we know. We've gone over. So there was the whole Mary Queen of Scots thing being accused of and being involved in the plot to kill her husband. And child number one wanted me to do that. <clears throat> but then the third choice, when I asked husband, when I gave husband the three choices, he didn't even hesitate. He was just like, William Wallace. Oh. So I did William Wallace because he was also an actual person. Yeah, I know that. I just don't know that much about him. Okay. So, well, I don't know that much about him either. I did this all this research and I was like telling all the, I'm like writing all these stories and everything. And then I saw this thing where it said, um, everything you just read is fake. Pretty much. Um, where is it? So in, okay, well, I'll get to it when I actually read the story, but there was some guy who was apparently like a minstrel guy the crown of the king of the outlaws blah 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 one in bridge oh here it is so many of it is said that many of the william wallace stories never really happened but were works of fiction and tales that were ascribed to a man named blind harry in the 15th century who was a minstrel who went around the country telling stories of romance okay well i know yeah, still But it's though. still cool. Still, though. Because there are enough documented pieces that it's still cool. Now, however, what I'm going to tell you, I have no idea what is actual William Wallace story and what is blind Harry fabrication. I mean, I never know that, so... Right. I mean, and my stuff happened in, like, the 90s or the 2000s, so... You mean it didn't happen in um, 1297? You're giving, you can have a little leeway because it happened in 1297. Okay. So William Wallace. No one knows if his father was, I've, I found three names. Sir Malcolm Wallace, Sir Matt, four names. Sir Malcolm Wallace, Sir Malcolm of Elise, no three. And Alan Wallace. I like one of the first two better. Alan uh-huh. Wallace just sounds like some guy that sells you insurance. <laughs> Okay, you know what I found? This whole story, like, there's there's names like Sir Malcolm Wallace, Sir Malcolm of Elderlies, um, William Wallace, Rogman Rolls, and then there's names like Alan Wallace and Eric Hi, I'm Alan Wallace. (laughs) If you need a... (laughs) If you need a home equity loan, call me today. I'm your guy. And then there's other... John John Batol. Just... My name's John... It was, it was interesting. So anyway, no one knows what his name was. There are said to have been, um, he was said to have been born in the Hans city of Lubbock in 1297. He, those show, those documents show that his father is listed as Alan Wallace. However, and this is also the same name that is listed on the 1296 Rogman Rolls as a crown tenant in Ayrshire. But there's no other additional confirmation other than that. If his father was Sir Malcolm or Sir Malcolm Wallace or Sir Malcolm of Eldershire, he would have been born in Eldershire at Rentenoff Castle in 1272. Which, by the way, if he was born in 1272, he's only 700 years older than me. That's not a lot. It's I mean. not. It's totally doable. Other than the fact that he's dead. Um... So the, this is the story that most people believe that he was born to this man at this time and blah, 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 including the William Wallace Society. Other Wallace family members have holdings all over the country. So there's never really been a place where they can pinpoint this is where the family came from because there's Wallaces all over Scotland. 
Yeah, that's a very common name. Very common name. The old English W-Y-L-I-S-E means foreigner or Welshman. So he may have come from um, it's like Wales anyway. Wales. Yeah. Wales instead of Wallace, something like that. Yeah. So during Wallace's growing up. Wallace. That's what it says. W-Y-L-I-S-E. Wallace. Yeah, kind of. Um, so during his growing up, King Alexander II was in charge of Scotland, and it was pretty much a peaceful time. On March 19th, 1286, he was thrown from his horse and died. Ouch. Yeah, because, you know, that happens. I would not... As much as I love history and love historical things, had I been born in a different time, I would not have survived infancy. Because of all the crazy things that they... Most of us would not have. Most of us would not have, for sure. So, king... Riding horse, gets thrown off, dies. So then he leaves his throne to his granddaughter. He leaves his throne to his granddaughter, Margaret, who is called the Maid of Norway. She's, you know, she's not really in a position to rule because she's a child and she's a girl and she's in Norway. So (laughs) the Scottish lords set up a government of guardians and they are going to maintain peace in order till she can get there so she grows up a little bit and she gets on a boat and she heads over to scotland and she on the boat gets sick and dies oh no yeah september 26 1290 she gets sick and dies so now what are they going to do there's no heir because she was still a young child this of course as you can imagine leads to issues and problems and infighting and people are arguing and all kinds of turmoil as we already know from some of your previous stories yes everybody's like i have a claim to the throne no i have a claim to the throne so it's a whole big thing so scotland is in just thrust into civil war so King Edward from England says, I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to come over and I'm going to arbitrate this problem. He comes over and he says, I'm coming here to help you guys. But before I agree to arbitrate your dispute, you need to recognize me as the Lord Paramount of Scotland. Totally help you. But first tell me I'm in charge. And they didn't want to do that. Well, I don't blame them. Right. So in November of 1292, there was a great feudal something of Berwick-upon-Tweed Castle. Um, they declared that John Bertal was the, had the strongest claim, and he is now the great king. And he was called, but he, he was not a great king. So they appointed him king, and he's in charge, but he's horrible. They called him Tom Tabard or Empty Coat. I like empty coat. Empty coat. The Scottish lords actually took him to court to tell him that he sucked. And he quit. That is actually a really good moniker for a politician you hate is empty coat. Empty coat. We should should try and make that catch on. Yeah. Okay. We're going to use that. We're going to make it catch on. Um, Old empty coat. George Washington or whatever. (laughs) No, George Washington was awesome. I know, he was great. Um, What I found in this story, it really surprised me how this is like the 1290s and a lot of the things that they're doing and going through and dealing with. Yeah, same. 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 Kind of crazy because it's 2019 and we're still dealing with the same crap. So he quits. He's like, peace out, I'm done. Um, In March 1296. And Edward shows up and he says, hey, guess what? I'm going to be in charge now. He comes in and he sacks the Scottish border town of Berwick, which was, you know, right there. And then he says, oh, by the way, you guys are going to now pay homage to me. I'm your king. And he demands formal feudal homage from over 1,800 Scottish nobles. Yeah. So I'm thinking this is the time where they still had to, like, give part of their, like, Almost like a tithing, but like yeah. not religious. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure that... I don't know because this is so early. So I'm watching the TV show Vikings and England is not a thing. There's England, English city-states. But that's way before, right? Like in the 600s or something? I don't know that it's that far before. I don't know. I actually don't know. I don't know either. Yeah. But yeah, it's 
Yeah, because this is the 12th. So England, England was probably a thing. I guess I could probably look that up, but I didn't. So anyway, so all this is happening. Wallace is growing up. Um, now, he, he, was, he was a thing. He was believed to have been over six feet tall, which is obviously a very, massive man very, for the time. Tall. He had a temper. Um, he was said to have had a massive hatred for the English because his father was killed by an English knight. His, his family was, but who's his father, right? So his family was, if he, if you believe the one thing and it's Sir or Malcolm, his family has, is noble and has a title, but his father was still killed by an English knight. And so he hates the English and he wants to avenge his death. So he was said to have killed his first Englishman when he was 19 at, he got in an argument with the son of a Dundee constable and he stabbed him in the heart and then ran off. So he continues to hate the English and he finds eventually this, after reading the part about the guy telling the stories, this to me seems like a story because he miraculously finds the actual knight that killed his father, Fenwick, and he kills him. And with that murder, he was declared an outlaw. So he's killed this other English guy, and then he goes and kills this knight, Fenwick, who has killed his dad. And now he's considered an outlaw. And But he's gathering supporters at this time because the English are coming in. I mean, all this takes place over a number of years. And so the English are coming in and, and like we're going to take over. And so people are supporting him because he hates the English. And supposedly he and his supporters sought refuge in a forest, the Etrick forest. Sound a little bit like anything. Robin Hood. Yes. So there's speculation that he inspired the myth and legend of Robin Hood. There actually is a Sherwood forest, but that was further south. Um, So he and his supporters are living in a forest and they're, you Robbing know, coming from the rich, out, giving to the poor. Yes, but English, Scottish, you know. And then he falls in love with a young woman named Marion Braidfute. B R A I D F U T E. Maid Marion. Right? Literally in parentheses next to that, I have Maid Marion. So he falls in love with her in Lanark. And there's supposedly a plaque outside what was their marriage home, their first home. So, again, the Englishmen are coming in. The Englishmen are, quote-unquote, ruling Scotland. And one of the English sheriffs, the sheriff... Sheriff of Nottingham? No, Helsrig. Heselrig? H-E-Z-E-L-I-R-I-G? Heselrig? Um, He had apparently executed William's brother-in-law. Now, I do not know if that was one of William's sister's husband or one of Marion's brother's. But yeah, it's just sounding very, they live in a forest, yes. he marries a girl named Marion, and there's a sheriff. <laughs> Sounds familiar. Stuff. Yeah. So um, he's got this brother-in-law that was executed by the sheriff. So William and his bland, band plan a revenge attack. And his they, band of merry men. His band of merry men who live in the forest with him. There's everything but the monk. They plan a revenge attack, and they come in, and they kill several several dozen English soldiers. And then they escape back into the forest. Well, the sheriff doesn't die, Heselrig, and he decides, and this sounded an awful lot like Mel Gibson's movie to me, Heselrig decides, I can't get, no, (laughs) the Mel Gibson movie with the whole Braveheart thing. So I can't get Wallace, so I'm going to take his next best thing. And oh. he executes Marion. So now Wallace is incensed. He just can't, can't deal with it. So he comes into town and kills every single Englishman. Oh. They spare the women and children, but they kill every single Englishman. The Scotsmen are like, yeah, we're going to take it. So they're all getting behind him, and they really want to get rid of the English. So it just seems like, you know, we know how politics goes, and I can't imagine that politics in the 1200s were much different than politics now, other than now we just have arguments on social media, and then they actually murdered people. But how much of this was, you know, kind of thinking of the guy doing the romance, 
because how much of this was actual personal vendetta of William Wallace versus political issues between the Scottish and the yeah, English. Yeah, it sounds very, very, very political. Yeah, like they just kind of picked this person to embody Vilify, all yeah. of their yeah stuff. So Scottish are out to get the English. They want him out. The Scottish people saw Wallace's killing of Hazelrag as the last act of defiance, and we're going to do this now. We're in, we're behind you. Men flock from all over the country to join his band. And then there's also speculation that he was like, dude, I just wanted to avenge my wife. You know, didn't really want to become a military leader, just wanted to kill the guy that killed my wife. Yeah. But like he's... Reluctant hero yeah. slash anti-hero. Yeah. So at this point, the English are paying attention to him because he's gathering, he's getting all this, these people coming, coming for miles to support him and be with him. Um, so the English are noticing him and they're not super excited. So they decide that they want to do something. And so they start like sending out feelers and Robert the Bruce, who actually was, Wallace was never king, but he was like the governor in charge for a little, little bit. And Robert the Bruce actually became the next king, the next Scottish king after a couple of things like they put. So we'll get to that. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Anyway, apparently Robert the Bruce actually betrayed Wallace and said, they're going to be here. But they were ready. And so everything kind of came to head on September 11, 1297. England sent soldiers to deal with the Wallace situation. Wallace and his friend, Andrew Murray, were ready for them. And they were waiting. They sent a few men to wait on the one side of this bridge, the Sterling Bridge. So they've got a few dudes there and they've got others back in hiding. So this is a really teeny tiny little bridge. You can get like three men across. Okay. So the English send start sending guys across this bridge and they're sending three men across. They sent um, 3,000 cavalry men, cavalry men and eight to 10,000 infantry men. Ooh, that's a lot. Yeah, so they're kind of filing across this bridge really slowly, three at a time. So Wallace and Murray wait until they've got about... A third of the English troops behind, a third on the bridge, and a third into the other side of the land, and they come and attack, and they just melt down. Boo, 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 boo. So then the dudes on the bridge get panicked, and they start to try and retreat, but you're three abreast on a tiny little narrow bridge, and you can't get back. They're just falling off. Yeah, dudes this way are coming, dudes this way are trying to go back, and they're all converging in the middle of this bridge, and the bridge collapses (gasps) and sends all the English down into the river, and like... I wasn't even thinking about that. Yeah, so like hundreds of men drowned. Like just drowned in the river where they just pull, pull, pull. You're out, you're out, you're out. So they fought horribly brutally. Brutally, It's actually said that William Wallace took a flay from Hugh Cressingham, who was King Edward's treasurer in Scotland. So he's the dude that's saying, okay, you give me money, you give me money. And he's taken the tax collector, basically. So it's said that he found him in battle and he took a flay of his skin from head to heel and he used that to make a baldric for his sword. I don't know what a baldric is. I've never heard of it. I mean, it sounds... scabbard. Yeah, it sounds like that kind of thing, but I don't know. But apparently it was made out of human skin from King... from um, Hugh Cressingham. Ew. The treasurer. Yeah. So after the battle, Murray and Wallace take the title of Guardians of the Kingdom on behalf of King John Millard, who was the guy who said, I quit. Sadly, Murray succumbed to his wounds. Okay, the battle happened on September 11th, right? Mm-hmm. Murray doesn't die from his wounds that he sustained on the, in that battle until, quote-unquote, late 1297. So October, November, December, three months. Three months months of festering. Yeah, gross. And how bad did he stink and how in pain and miserable was he? Yeah, you know it was just, ugh. You can see it. Yeah. Okay. So this battle was kind of a turning point for England. England, this surprised me because, so I'm reading this on different sites, and it's saying England abandoned its proper and chivalric warfare for a more decisive victory approach that they took with them to the Hundred Years' War. Okay, 
they were being chivalrous in 1297 because if you if you you know have done any research on the American Revolution, that's kind of how we won the American Revolution because the English were so regimented in their militaristic yeah. approach. So did they get it back? I, I'm not. It seemed odd to me. I don't know. Or the standard was so different. Maybe I don't know. Could be. But I still, in 1297, do you really have that disciplined of an approach to war? Well, that's what I mean. Like, the standard could have been different what was disciplined in mm. the revolution versus... I see what you're saying. It's like yeah. they had advanced or whatever, quote yeah. unquote. Where they kneel down and they load their musket mm-hmm. and boom. And you wait, wait turns. <laughs> wait until it's your turn to shoot. Don't shoot until it's your turn. Yes. So William Wallace's glory is very short-lived. He, King Edward, brings his troops immediately back. Like, literally four months later in July, they invade again. And on July 22nd, Wallace and his troops are handily defeated in the Battle of Fall Creek. And his military reputation's ruined. He quits the guardianship, he resigns the guardianship, and he goes to France. In 1299. I quit. I'm going to France. Yeah. Well, okay. So there's different speculations. Some say he went to France to fight in the guerrilla, or fight in a guerrilla tactics in the war between France and England, which there's always a war between France and England, so I don't even know which one this was. And other people said he went to get support for Scotland's rebellion from France. So he's in France, he's hanging out, he's trying to get support, he almost had it, and then somehow France kind of turned against him, and he is recognized and turned in. And he was turned in in 1304. There's actually letters that they have found while he was in France where he was writing to different envoys in Rome, and there's speculation that he was planning on going to Rome to try and get the Pope's help. Oh. to inter- intercede between Scotland and um, England. And there's also speculation that he was betrayed by his friend Sir John de Monith, M-O-N-T-E-I-T-H, when he was actually given up. So he's, he's recognized and he's given up, and Edward gets him. Ed- Edward, the, the Scottish nobles say, okay, you win. In 1394, 1304, Edward, you're the king. By this time, they're still fighting in England, or in Scotland and England, and all the Scottish leaders throw up the white flag in 1304. Yep, you win. Okay, we give. Edward, you're our king. Well, William Wallace is not convinced. He's not going to do that. He's still working in France to try and get Scotland to become independent. He's not going to give up. There's speculation that he was at this time betrayed by his friend, Sir John de Monteith, M-O-N-T-E-I-T-H, because on August 5th, 1305, he was actually captured. He was chased and hunted down, and they finally got him on August 5th. He was captured near Glasgow. He was taken to London and condemned as a traitor. He said i um he's of course after he's dead he's a complete martyr for the scots and um blah blah blah, and i'll talk more about that later but so he's he's just become being really stubborn all the way to the end they got him they got him in the tower they're taking him from the tower they can't take my freedom freedom okay I have a story about that. So they cra- they made a crown out of oak branches and they put it on him. Ooh, that sounds rough. Yes. Because oak branches are barky. Barky. They crowned him king of the outlaws. They charged him. They asked him. They got him up. I'm sure they did this other stuff first. But So they, they, put, him, they put him in the tower and then they took him out of the tower and they stripped him down naked and they tied him to the heels of a horse. And then they had the horse walk six miles through the center of London, dragging the naked William Wallace behind him as they like put the rope around the bottom of the horse's feet. And he's dragging, they're Uh, dragging, can't even walk. Ouch. The whole time, the the streets are filled with people and they're throwing things at him, like rotten vegetables and excrement. They're literally throwing shit at him. 
while he's being dragged down the street behind a horse. So then they get him to the place where they're going to execute him. And they said, how do you, um, this is of course speculation, but supposedly he was asked, how do you respond to the charge of traitor to England? And he responded, I could not be a traitor to England for I was never his subject. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. So this is kind of his freedom thing Mm -hmm. because they, in the movie where Mel Gibson screams out freedom, William, at that point during his ordeal, William Wallace would not have been able to make verbal sounds because they were, he was that horrible. Okay. So here's what they did. They stripped him down naked, dragged him through the streets for six miles. Then they hung him. Okay. But before he died, they would cut him down. So he's just like on the verge of dying. They cut him down. They emasculated him. Okay. Yep. Just whacked that whole thing off with a knife. And then, and this is, so they made it a point to tell this in multiple articles that I read. They emasculated him and then showed it to him. Here's your penis and balls. And then they sliced open his stomach, disemboweled him, set his bowels on fire, and again, showed them to him. Here's your bowels on fire. Right. So at this point is where Mel Gibson is screaming freedom, and his bowels would have been in his face on fire. Also, he had been castrated slash... Lorena Bobbitted. (laughs) So the sign of a good executioner at this point in time apparently was the ability to slice open a man's chest, spread his ribs apart, and bring out of his chest cavity his still beating heart. So that's interesting because I am currently listening to the last podcast on the left. Mm -hmm. Well, I actually just finished it about executions. And they haven't gone into English. Or, no, did they? Um, anyway, they pretty much just went into like axings and hangings, <sighs> not in the detail that you went into though. Like I was waiting to hear something like that. Well, we're, we're, we're not done. No, they, they were a lot more mild and they're not like that usually. So yeah, this is, this is, so there's no written record if Wallace's heart was still beating when it was brought out of his chest, but his heart was brought out of his chest. Then they beheaded him after that. Then they cut off all of his limbs and they took his head and they dipped it in tar and they stuck it on a pike on the London Bridge and they took his limbs and they sent them to the four corners of England and put them on display. So they were really, really pissed off at him. That's one way to do it. Yeah, they were they were pissed off at him. They wanted him to to be dead. It's interesting though that the last what were they? What is the podcast that you're you're listening to? What is it on? Executions. Just on executions, yeah. and they didn't talk about taking the beating heart out. No, apparently it was a thing. I but read it on I'm multiple websites. Remember, I'm trying to remember because they either mentioned that they're not doing English right now, or they. I don't know. There was something about it because there was going to be more further episodes. I can't imagine, though, that something like the Spanish Inquisition would have been more mild than English. They didn't talk about the Spanish. Yeah. They were just talking about methods. Okay. So he's, you know, a, a Scottish martyr. And Scotland eventually goes on to, so this is 1305. In 1328, Scotland actually wins their independence. Um and freedom so yeah he's head hung out on the london bridge for a while okay so they were specifically talking about hangmen and headsmen but some of them were axed they axed people too Uh so it wasn't it was very specific to like hangmen basically well who was the poor axe guy that um the poor woman who was beheaded it was like hundreds of years later than this though but the the Axman either had a dull axe or he missed and he like chopped part of her head and it took him like three blows to kill her. They talked about that, but it wasn't, I don't know if it was that specific case, but they talked about an occurrence like that where, because they didn't ax people very often. So Mm -hmm. they weren't like very adept at it because the, the hangman, they only got paid like per execution. So it's not like they, they, 
they just weren't that good at it. Uh-huh. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Well, uh, Henry VIII sent for a executioner from France to execute Anne Boleyn. He want, she wanted to be executed in the French style where she is kneeling and the, the beheading is done with a sword that is like swiftly they talk, swung across. Yeah, they talked about that too. Like they swung it like in a circle fashion uh-huh. versus like... The down on the yeah. block. And she practiced putting her like in, her t- in the tower, she practiced putting her head the right position. I could see you doing that, though. Like, if you were going to be executed... Me? I would totally do that. You were like, I need it done in the French fashion, and (laughs) I need to have some practice time because I want to make sure that it's perfect. Yes, because if reincarnation is real, I'm Anne Boleyn. (laughs) I mean, can you... I I was her for Halloween when I was eight. I'm Anne Boleyn. Um, But that's Willie Wallace. I... Okay, so that's a... Like, I never knew there was a connection between, like, the whole... um, like Robin Hood thing and I didn't either. I think that's cool. That's the coolest part about it cuz the, the he other, could have the been rest Robin of it, Hood. Like I can I can watch Braveheart and I can extrapolate. Yeah, some of this is fake, some of it's yeah. real and like also some of the stuff you said could also was be fake. probably real. fake. Yeah. Probably came from the guy telling stories cuz they would get paid by their stories. The you know? parallels with the Robin Hood story is the most fascinating. Super cool, part. especially Marion. Yes. That's you know, like, he lives in a forest. He has a band of merry men. It would only be better if the sheriff was, like, from Boddingham or something instead <laughs> of Nottingham. But the forest didn't rhyme. But there was an actual Sherwood Forest some Very miles south by. of yeah. where they were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, It's pretty cool. That was pretty cool. Yeah. So I tried to tell you an entertaining story, but I'm totally not an expert. You're not an expert. You didn't like the cocktail either. No, but I did not. We're both not experts. No. We're just... Drugs. Hey, so we're going to be going all kinds of fun places this summer, and we a lot are. of other people yeah. are. So I have an idea. Okay, what's your idea? What if when you and I go places, we leave a card? And then what do we do with the card? Well, if people find the card, they can take a picture of themselves with the card and email us. And then what? Well, if they email us a picture of them with the card and their mailing address, we'll send them a sticker. Our stickers are kind of awesome. Our stickers are totally totally awesome okay so where can they reach us they can reach us at crimeandtimeotr at gmail.com that's our email and you can also reach us on social media at crimeandtimeotr and that's for facebook or instagram at crimeandtimeotr or twitter at crimeandtimeotr right but email us the pictures of you with our cards at crimeandtimeotr at gmail.com so we'll be sure to see it. Also, right. if you have any cocktail suggestions or stories you want to hear, let us know. Right. Totally. And when we see the picture of you with the card, you get a sticker. And you get a sticker. And you get a sticker. And you get a sticker. <laughs> <laughs>